VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is the briefing room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-soda where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week we're talking about two updates, a comfort rewatch, a found footage marathon, a wild-ass final season of a criminally underseen TV show, and then we smuggle some eggs and comfort a very sad dad. A very, very sad dad. (laughs) Very, very sad dad. He's very, very sad. But um, what are your two updates? Okay. So first of all, last week I mentioned that I was reading um, Cunning Folk and that I was Mm -hmm. like two hours from the end and I was like, it's really good. Hopefully he doesn't, uh, you know, shit the bed with the ending. He didn't. I finished it this week. It's fantastic. Go out and read this book. I absolutely loved it. So that's my first update. The second update, back in like June, I can't remember exactly the episode off the top of my head, but I talked about um, a movie that I saw from a festival, and I can't remember which festival, but it was a movie called See For Me. Um, Yeah, that's coming out this week, right? And it's out today, so I just want to let people know. Um, I rewatched it again um, to hopefully get a review done, and I liked it much better on the second time because I watched it when it was like sandwiched between a whole lot of, you know, festival movies. It didn't really like stick out my mind, so I didn't review it at the time. But um, yeah, it's really good. Blind former uh, skier is cat sitting in a secluded mansion. Three thieves invade because the person she's sitting for has a ton of money in a safe. And her only defense is this army veteran, Kelly, who is working with this app called See For Me that allows like sighted people to help visually impaired people. And luckily, she helps her through like the shit and then it gets real. But it's uh, it was really good on my second rewatch. I think it's a lot of fun and it's out on VOD the moment this episode drops. So cool. Make sure to go see it. Yeah. And the act, the actor playing the lead is in fact visually impaired and they're yeah. also tra- they're also they, non-binary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're non-binary. So, it's super cool and I just love that there is some non-binary disability representation in a horror release. So that's really fucking cool. And they're really good. The actress, the actor's name is Skylar Davenport and 
they're really good in this. And I, I believe it might be their first role because it says introducing, I believe. Yeah, so, I think it is their first role. So, yay. Really good and fun. Um, really enjoyed it on second watch. Cool. So, speaking of rewatches, a comfort rewatch? <laughs> Tell me okay. about this. So, the movie we're going to talk about later has a very um, small part-ish, but important, played by Sarah Polly. And when we when I was watching it, I was like, oh, Sarah Polly, I love her. And then it made me remember that I haven't watched the movie Go in a very, very long time. And that is a movie that I can quote like I haven't probably seen it in probably maybe, I don't know, a decade or so. And I was watching it and I slipped back into it and I was like, oh, this movie is so good. And I could quote it like just. Like nobody's business. But Go was came out in 1999, the year of the best movies ever. Directed by Doug Lyman, which, you know, okay. I mean, he would go on to do Edge of Tomorrow and wow, The Born Identity. And, interesting. But more importantly, it was written by John August, who is a queer man. It's written by John August, who is a queer man who uh, has written a bunch of stuff like big fish he was a writer on frank and weenie oh. he was a writer on charlie and the chocolate factory he came up with a story for dark shadows like he's done a lot of that oh, wow. kind of stuff but he also he got his start uh this was his first feature film writing and it kind of it, it, it i i mean i think right at the time critics were talking about how it sort of aped from pulp fiction and it does. It has a, a nonlinear structure where it tells, um, I think, three distinct stories that have like title cards on it that um, all kind of interact with each other. And so mm. the the identity, the, the 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 point of focus initially is Sarah Polly's character, okay. um, Rana. It's a Christmas film who is about ready to get evicted on Christmas because she can't pay her rent, mm -hmm. and so. She's working at a grocery store and one of the workers, Simon, is like, hey, I'm going out of town or I need I want to go out of town with, with my with my friends. We're going to Las Vegas. And he's like, so I'll give you cash up front if you go do my my shift. And she takes it because she's desperate. She works the shift. She gets approached by two actors who uh, want to score some drugs off of simon who's not there and so they ask her and get her involved she ends up going to simon's dealer kind of cutting him out of the picture because he's gone and then it sort of escalates from there we follow her we follow simon in las vegas we follow the actors we follow uh the drug dealer we follow all these people as they like crisscross on this one crazy night and if you look at the cast you have sarah Polly, jay moore scott wolf tay diggs katie holmes um a very early uh wrote uh Blah, blah, blah. A very early performance by uh, Michelle. Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy. Yes. Very early performance by her. Uh, William Fitchner. Timothy Oliphant is the, is the uh, drug dealer. Just a whole bunch of who's who either at the top of their game when they're really big and famous or like just about to like really explode. And it's such a good movie. It's very funny. It's um it's just a good time. And it's like one of those movies that I just sat down and I just remembered, I love this movie so much. I've never seen it. And now I'm going to have to watch it. It's so fucking good. It looks good. fun. It looks it's so, so fun. good. 
and it's surprising like even even after seeing it it's like i knew it was coming and i mean like that is such a good little twist because the way the stories are intersect and it ties it all together it's just it's an expertly written movie i mean it's doug lyman you know he, he directs action really well but the story is where it's at and this one is really good so go see go from 1999 cool but yeah that's go what a cast right though seriously incredible yeah so it's really good i really recommend it um i think it's aged really well a lot of fun okay but i want to hear about this found footage marathon that you did (laughs) so for new year's this year i decided Mm -hmm. to watch three found footage movies because of course i did very on brand ending out 2021 yep i spent part of new year's eve and then the next day like laying in bed watching found footage movies on tubi so i watched daylight which is from 2013 horror in the high desert and dark mountain two of them i want to talk about horror in the high desert was fine but i didn't really like the ending and i i just didn't necessarily feel like it was as good as the other two i'm gonna talk about um so these are all available on tubi for free with commercials, but they're all on Tubi. Um, if you want to watch Love found Tubi. footage and find found footage, Tubi is the place to be. Because I just like this movie. Daylight was recommended to me, and then I just sat on Tubi and like scrolled through like all the found footage they had and added it to my watch list. So highly recommend if you're a big found footage fan. But um, Daylight uh, is from 2013, and it's a horror. It's a horror thriller. I'm reading this off a letterbox. Like it's a, I didn't know that, but it's a found footage <laughs> film. About a team of child protective service agents <laughs> who oh. are investigating like a, they, what they think is a string of sexual abuse cases, and oh. it actually potentially turns out to be demonic. Um, so it's a really it's an interesting premise, and it's pretty it's really difficult source material um, to kind of handle, and I think it does a decent job. I think the, the there's a lot it's very convoluted so it's like not a lot of it makes sense but I wanted to bring it up just because it's like I think it's a very creative premise and the way it goes in the end is super bizarre and I really liked that so like even though it didn't totally work all the time it swings for the fences and a lot of like the things it tries to tackle and how it tackles it so it starts out as a like very serious like found footage drama and then it becomes this like fucking crazy like as above so below kind of vibes Hmm. found footage movie so like i said it might not be for everybody because the plot like the story there's a lot going on in the story and not it's not all really explained but it's a fascinating kind of idea and a creative take on the subgenre so i recommend it for the for people that you know looking for something a little bit different um in found footage and then three directors yes three directors i think it's all three of the main people Mm. Yes, yeah, directed by David McCracken, Joel Townsend, and Caden Tremaine. And David McCracken and Joel Townsend are both in it, but Caden is not. But yeah, apparently David McCracken wrote it so he could star in his own movie, which is hysterical. So that's Daylight, and that's on Tubi. And then the other one I wanted to talk about was Dark Mountain, which is directed by Tara Anise. And it is one of the rare found footage movies that's directed by a woman. I was going to say... Um, which is super exciting. It's also from 2013. I've been meaning to check this one out for a while. And it's got like very much Blair Witch vibes to the point at they say, what, you want to end up like it's a Blair Witch project, which I found <laughs> hilarious. And again, not everything about this movie worked for me. Um, there are some parts that are just like a little bit slow, but 
I like, again, so a, a crew is wanders into the desert, well, not wanders, goes into the desert looking for, it's called the Lost Dutchman Mine. So they're trying to basically do like a looking for a lost treasure show. And okay. people are like, it's, of course, it's called Superstitious Mountain. So like, and it's cursed. So like everyone <laughs> is telling them like, you go up there and you disappear. Like it's not, don't do it. And they're like, fuck that. We're going to go anyway. And it do they disappear? They do, in fact, disappear. It does not go well for them. But it is very Blair Witch in the woods. Not the woods. Blair Witch in the desert. But I didn't mm. necessarily mind that. Um, I think it's like it's got very like even there's even like a, a, a crying monologue to the camera, and it's a woman in charge of the group who is like, "I'll do anything to make my movie." And then the two guys who antagonize her. So mm. like it's very very similar, mm-hmm. but interesting. And again, like this might not be for every person, but I think one, it's a found footage movie directed by a woman. So I will always be standing and supporting that because there are not enough women making films in the subgenre. So like automatically, I like it just to support. Um, it's it's rocky, but again, it's on Tubi for free. I think it's worth watching, and I think you know I wish she was making more movies that more found footage because I think she like. It felt like a very good kind of like, okay, it's the only movie she's ever directed. And it's like, you kind of get the idea for found footage. All right, cool. So make another horror movie. Because now you've kind of grasped that you kind of understand like what that structure is. And you, it mm-hmm. wasn't bad. And like you did a decent job of creating that conceit around it and like creating something fucking bizarre going on around them. Um, but, you know, it, it needs a little polish, but that's okay. That's why we love found footage. And I just want to, one last thing. I wasn't, I'm not really going to talk about horror in the high desert because I thought it was kind of boring, but the last 20 minutes is some of the most stress inducing shit I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, really? It's incredible. I wish the movie was just that part um, Mm. because the rest of it is boring. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) but like, it's just boring. Um, Mm -hmm. But the end is just like, (laughs) I'm going to vomit out my stomach kind of stuff. Oh, wow. So that's how you. That's how that's the way to end found footage films though, right? It's like that sort of like <laughs> like yeah, and usually I like that, but I guess just like it drags on a little bit for me. Yeah. And I typically don't want to like talk shit about movies I didn't like because like I don't want to mm-hmm. be that person. It's not bad. I mean again, it's on Tubi, it's not bad. The ending is really good. The ending, most of it is good. I don't like I don't like the explanation for what's going on. I think it's mm-hmm. kind of cheap, but there's like a really the actual like it's because it's a it's like a pseudo documentary thing but the actual mm-hmm. like found footage that they're talking about at the end is incredible so i mean you can skip ahead to the last 20 minutes and you're really not going to be missing any context a guy's lot like a guy went missing in the woods but um yeah i had a great time starting off my year with a bunch of found footage movies oh yeah it was a great time yeah but i want to hear more about this uh criminally underseen tv show i think i know what it is but tell me more about this show Okay, so I've talked about this show a couple times on the podcast. I love Search Party. I think Search Party is a fabulous, fabulous show that not a whole lot of people see have seen, but I am so glad that HBO Max picked it up after TBS decided to not do scripted shows anymore. And they aired season three, then they did season four, and I thought season four was going to be the end of the series until like the last shot of it. And then it's like, oh, are they leaving it up for a fifth one? And then, lo and behold, they made a fifth season. 
I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it because I can't really talk a whole lot about it without spoiling it. I will say that if you're watching along with it, they're dropping all 10 episodes the day this this episode comes out. So you can binge it. It is a very this season is very, very, very bingeable. It's very, very, very weird. I think it takes a huge hard left turn from the serious uh, fourth season and goes in directions that I was not expecting whatsoever. I'm writing about it with Joe. You'll be able to read our reactions of the first nine episodes the day this drops. And then we're going to do a 10th episode slash kind of show retrospective for the, the second part of it. OK, I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately going to spoil the very end of last season. So if you haven't watched it, just please skip ahead. But go watch it. So the, la- the this that the way that the way this show has worked is that each season has kind of taken a a subgenre of like horror or thriller or something, and yeah. added comedy to it. So like the first season is almost like a noir detective. The second season is up is like a Hitchcockian paranoid thriller again comedy. Okay. The third season is like a lawyer show. The fourth season, um, she ends up getting Dory, who's played uh, to perfection by Alia Sh- Shawkat. Oh, gets yes. Gets kidnapped. Um, her head gets shaved. She gets psychologically tortured for most of the season and brainwashed um, as sort of like, in a way, kind of punishment for the stuff that she's done over the last three seasons, it feels like. And then the end of that season, she dies. And then comes back alive. Sick. And in this season, she has seen stuff. She's had a near-death experience. And so what do you do when you've been dead for 36 seconds? You form a cult. (gasps) And so this season starts out as sort of like a cult comedy. She is, like, accruing people through TikTok, through social media, like, creating this this whole brand. Uh, um, Jeff Goldblum plays uh, a sort of, I would say... Tesla. What's the Tesla guy? What's his name? Nikola Tesla. No, uh, the, oh, Elon the Musk. Car. <laughs> <laughs> he plays sort of like an Elon Musk, like <laughs> Nikola Tesla. I love it. He plays sort of like an Ooh. Elon Musk. I mean, yes, that is that is true. Like, yeah, uh, Elon- <laughs> he plays an Elon Musk um, kind of billionaire who. Um, latches on to Alia to Dory the main character is sort of like her her cult thing and decides that they would want to make like a pill that gives you enlightenment because who has the time to find enlightenment and so they get this all these scientists to start like trying to develop a pill that's going to basically do what happened to Dory where she died for 36 seconds and came back like seeing everything and and they want to sell enlightenment in the pill. So it's talking about that. It's talking about TikTok culture, about like social media culture, about the cult of the personality. And then it goes into some really far out directions. And I was like, wait, are they doing this? Is this really happening? And I don't think a lot of most there's going to be some people that are going to be like this show, this just jumped the shark. And it does. But it feels almost like a victory lap in a sense of like the first four perfectly executed seasons and now they're just having fun i mean this thing has like a a little bit of an it uh kind of um parody in it it has like a little demonic child who might or might not have been created without people not quite sure maybe formed in a lab you don't really know like it has all these little tiny things that just start to build to an apocalyptic mess at the end and it's just it's wild it's crazy it's a surprising way to end this show 
because this is the fifth and final season, but it kind of makes sense in a way. Okay. So all five seasons as of today are on HBO Max and go binge, listeners. Go binge. But yeah, that's Search Party. Cool. In a nutshell. Fascinating. I need. I do need to watch it. Wild. I'm sorry I just spoiled the ending of oh, season okay. four. But... I could have said something, but I was like, eh, it's fine. I bet I, I will still enjoy it. It's kind of hard to talk about this season without, like... Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Hmm. Uh, so, eggs and sad dads. <laughs> yeah, so we watched Exotica for our erotic thriller... And it's directed and written by um, Atamagoyan, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Not 100% Mm -hmm. sure. Apologize, Adam, if it's not. What a good movie. But also deeply, deeply, deeply sad. Yeah, what the fuck? Why are all these erotic thrillers so goddamn sad now? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, the premise itself. Let me just read the premise from Letterboxd here for everybody. In the upscale Toronto strip club Exotica, dancer Christina is visited nightly by the obsessive Francis, a depressed tax auditor, who is played by Bruce Greenwood. Also, Christina is played by um, Mia Kirshner, Kirshner of L Word fame. Um, her ex- um, also, not another teen movie fame. Yeah. Her, ex- <laughs> her ex-boyfriend, the club's MC, Eric, Elias Cotez, 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 I'm so sorry, everybody. Still jealously pines for her, even as he introduces her on stage. But Eric is having his own relationship problems with the club's female owner. Then Thomas, a mysterious pet shop owner, is about to become unexpectedly involved in their lives. And so, like, reading this, I kind of thought it might be a little silly. Because I'd never heard of it before. Like, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, No, furthest fucking thing from silly I've ever goddamn seen in my entire life. Everyone is so fucking sad. Yeah. And, like, tied together by trauma. Yeah. So one thing that, like, really <laughs> stuck stuck out to me while we were watching – while I was watching this was the the, the way that the film kind of takes on a, a, the voyeuristic aspect of – that we see in, in, in a lot of, like, thrillers where it opens up with a man in, like, a, a an airplane search room. Where they're like going through his his stuff, and there's like a two way mirror, and so we kind of focus on the people on the other side that are watching him, and that kind of motif continues throughout. Especially get to yeah. the strip club, where there's like uh, the guy that is the the DJ um, Eric, Eric yeah. is like watching um, the love of his life through like two way glass, and it just becomes like this weird this weird thing of people watching other people, but being so separated from other people and not being able to like connect with other people. Yes. A lot of watching and pining and trying mm. to watch as if watching only is going to be some kind of connection, but the watching isn't enough, but no one no. really touches either. And it's this really interesting kind of dance that goes on with this hot dance um, because <laughs> – well, so that makes me want to talk about the club, Exotica. The, okay. The, the most- First of all – so this this the strip club, the Casa Bonita of strip clubs, like, <laughs> what the fuck? I expected there to be like, you know, like cliff divers. I expected there to be like, you know, some like old cave that you had to like crawl through. Have you ever been to Casa Bonita? Have, do you know what it is? Have you heard of yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's it's it, they talked about it. They go to it in the South Park episode, right? And it is literally yeah. that I have been there, and it is horrible food. But like, this looks like Casa Bonita. Like if this if they said that they filmed this at Casa Bonita, be like, yep, they, they sure as fuck mm-hmm. did. Yep, wild. <laughs> it's there's like ponds, and they're like playing in the water, and the stage is not your typical like. There's no pole. It's this very strange <laughs> runway with like old fashioned lighting. There's plants. All of the women are just like very fancy. It's just it, the vibe is the beyond any kind of strip club that you would ever think. Like it's so weird, and it's like it's owned by a woman, and it's owned by a woman, the daughter of the original owner, which I kind of love that it was like a kind of a female owned strip joint, mm-hmm. and like. The vibes with the whole that whole thing were really interesting, but I also was kind of laughing at the the dances were only five dollars. Okay, <laughs> I was like, "That's look, I inflation and all, but like that's that's really low." Yeah, and you're talking about how you're a high scale club, and like she talks about how they only want a certain kind of client, and it's like all like wealthy looking men, but it's five dollars for a dance. I thought the the kind of financial aspect of this was so fascinating because the the guy blah 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 blah, blah. because Francis Bruce Greenwood's character is constantly driving Tracy played by Sarah Polly who is the whole reason I went and went to go watch go he's driving her home after she babysits his dead child who d- so much there and he pays her twenty dollars an hour and so she's making twenty dollars an hour performing music in an empty house while poor Mia is strutting her stuff as a schoolgirl on the stage for $5 a dance at a table. I'm like, what? Yeah, it was very, very interesting. Oh, yeah, but money was a lot of transactional stuff in this mm-hmm. movie, too. Like, paying for attention and paying for, like, comfort. There isn't a lot of, like, genuine... There, but there is, though. There are genuine connections, but it's all... But it's, at the same time, very transactional, and it's very... It blurs these lines a lot of the time with, like, so you're paying someone this money. Are you actually... Are they actually comforting you, or are you just paying right. them to give you a service? You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. this movie has that vibe, especially with Bruce Greenwood's character and his relationship with Christina. Well, we find out that it's way more complicated Ooh. than, like, what the fucking shit. But it's very much, like, it's not I can save her energy, but it's very much, like, throwing all of his, like, kind of mental well-being into this sex worker who he pays to pay attention to him and, like, comfort him Mm -hmm. but it it seems deeper like she also seems to kind of benefit from their relationship like emotionally and it's not just transactional but it's interesting to kind of that dynamic is so weird Uh, like obviously there's a very innate power dynamic in that situation and then there is also the added baggage of their their further connection Mm. and who they are to each other um, I actually went, wow, when I found out, like, their connection at the very end. I was like, holy shit. You know what I went holy shit over? When they find the little girl's body and she's wearing that exact uniform that Christina wears as her dancer <sighs> outfit. Uh-huh. Christina wears a dead girl, um, an outfit a dead little girl was wearing as her costume on stage at Exotica. 
The- if that does not scream, I am working through my trauma in the wor- in the, one of the most like complicated ways possible. I almost said worse, but I will not say that because everyone deals with things in their own way. But God damn it, that is not a complex way to deal with your trauma. I, you know, I hadn't even put that together until you just said it, but holy shit. But then you also have him working through his very complex feelings about his daughter by going to a strip club where Mia Kirshner is working as a schoolgirl. And so there's that weird aspect of it, too, of him working through his, like, familial trauma by going to a place where you're paying for sex, but he's not paying for sex. But it's like... This weird, it's kind of, it's icky, but it's also like... It's icky, icky. But it's also like, it's deeply sad. Because like, as you find out how everyone is connected, you're Mm -hmm. like, oh my god, everyone is very sad and very fucked up over this tragedy, and they're all just trying to figure out how to deal with it in very complicated ways that aren't... They Like, again, they're not wrong. They're just very complicated and much more destructive. They're, mm. they're destructive ways. Mm-hmm. Of com- like, because, like, Christina, Bruce Greenwood's character, and then the DJ, Eric, are all part of this trauma and this really weird triptych of bullshit that, like, and by bullshit, I mean just, like, so much emotional baggage. Like, everyone got involved with the other for probably, like, very bad reasons yeah. in terms of, like, trauma bonding and comfort in like the wrong places and you don't get that at first like this movie Mm -hmm. starts out and you're like what is everyone's problem and then as the movie progresses it beautifully and tragically all comes together and they are just united by the saddest thing Mm -hmm. but i also love that they don't go into a lot of detail with the tragedy like it's very much like a what happens after the fact kind of thing rather than like a reveling in the death of a little girl It's just, like, it doesn't go into, like, how it happened or anything. It's mostly just, like, how these people are recovering after a horrendous tragedy. Or not recovering, because their relationship between all all three of them feels very codependent to, like... That's true. I guess recovering is not the right word. Um, Experiencing in the middle of grieving. I just feel like they're constantly, like, cutting open the wound again. Like, it's just, it's like... Dancing dancing as dressed as a little girl can't... I mean, like, again... Everyone deals with trauma in different ways, right, but absolutely. I don't think she's wor- I don't think she's working through it in, in a no. positive way. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't seem like she's really working on that one. And I and I don't think Francis is improving whatsoever. I think he's just constantly stuck in this trauma cycle, and it's well. And he's like, I got kicked out of the club, and I can't see her anymore. I'm going to murder somebody. Like talk about like. <laughs> Pent up like rage and just like inability to like understand your own emotions, which is how the gay exotic okay pet owner I literally was about to transition to talking about the exotic pet smuggling gay guy who becomes wrapped up in their weird shit randomly. Very randomly, he's smuggling eggs into the country. He's doing it illegally. He's potentially like like the. Francis works for the the Canadian equivalent to the IRS who is like doing an audit on his stuff and obviously he's doing shady businesses and he's making a lot of money because he's obviously not selling fish from his exotic pet department because those fish tanks are rank dude you wouldn't have to clean out your dead fish constantly if you would actually clean out your fish tanks because those things were green as fuck they were disgusting. It was so gross. And you could smell it. 
Yeah, you could. I was like, you, you know, you go into like a pet store and you get that smell. This is what that would yeah. pet store would smell like to like the nth degree because yeah, that shit smell was from rank. outside. It was uh-huh. gross. It was like the worst pet store I've ever seen. But obviously, he's smuggling in rare birds, right? Um, but he he does something interesting where he gets instead of someone covering cab fare, he gives him two ballet tickets. And so what he does is goes he goes sick. Well, fuck it. I guess I'm just going to go to the ballet. And then someone goes has a sign. Oh, looking for one ticket. And he has one. So he sells it to the guy and they go to the ballet. And he, he then at the end of it, he says, oh, I was given these tickets. I shouldn't take your money. And then. But he keeps doing there. that. But, he, but yeah, exactly. So like and then it ends up they go get drinks and they, you know, they probably hook up. And this happens multiple times for him. Like, it's so weird. It's like, again, it it just turns into sex, but it starts out as, like, going to the ballet together. And it's and your it's transaction, just, almost. It's, again, transaction. Like, I'll give you money for this ticket. Oh, I'm going to, to give you your money back because I shouldn't have done that, et cetera, et cetera. And it's very, it's a little, it's both sad but also, like, a little skeezy, but also genius. All mm. in... Because <laughs> I guess, like, the power dynamic thing there just feels weird, again, with the transactional nature of the whole thing. Like, it's not paying for sex, but, like, it's... It's, it's paying got, for companionship. It's paying for companionship. And I say... It's not... But the more I talk about it, it's, like, kind of sad. Because, again, like, he is trying to find companionship, and he finds it in the ballet. And then, like, it's also genius for dating. Like, what a genius dating technique. <laughs> but it is, like, I guess skeezy isn't the way to think about it. I think it's just it's so sad. It's just, it kind of, it connects perfectly to the story that, that Francis is yeah. going through, where he's he he seems unable to find human connection, and so he, he's going someplace to, a place that is not meant for what he's trying to get. I mean, it's a strip club, you know, you're, you're going there not to have a deep, meaningful conversation with someone, but he's going there for that. At the same time, Thomas is going to the ballet to meet people and to maybe have some kind of connection. So there's like a, an interesting dynamic oh, between the two. They're also both watching dancers and mm-hmm. it's like, one is like a socially acceptable dancer and there's yes. like an audience watching together. So there's that voyeurism aspect again of how like they are both watching women dancing on stage but mm-hmm. one is deemed more pro- like more proper than the other right. and so there's that interesting like kind of morality thing too to it this movie so many layers this movie, this movie. It's, like onion. it's like an onion <laughs> or is it a parfait parfait is so delicious no the, i think this movie is brilliant it's brilliant and i'd never heard of it before no and i'm so fucking glad that you brought it to watch because it is in- yeah, thank you, Joe. Like it is incredibly brilliant and it's devastating. It's not sexy at all. You see a little bit of booby, but like in her schoolgirl outfit, which is kind of weird. And <laughs> it's incredible. It's an incredible movie. Like, but I've also found my new dance dance move because I loved her touch palm, touch head, hands over mouth, like. I'm here for this. This is going to be, is, is this, is this what, what men want? Can I find a man by touching palm, touching head, hand over mouth? It was interpretive dancing and I, I was here for it. It was incredible. Also just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Elias Kodis as Eric, who is just like sucking that microphone's dick the oh entire my God. movie. It's incredible. This sad boy is just like yelling. It's like, he's like a 
smooth jazz radio host just like yelling his emotions <laughs> onto the microphone and it's just like He's like, you're not okay. He is making love to that mic. I'm glad you brought up the kind of smooth jet because I was like, man, I could just see this guy. He's like on the radio. He's like, yes. And, you know, it's midnight here and we're all just in that kind of sexy mood. So I'm going to put on the sounds of blah, 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 blah. And we're going to have sex and kind of flirt with all of you listeners. Like that is the vibe he was giving through most of the movie until he got really angry. And then it was just like, rah. (laughs) But it 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 was really good. His performance was really good, I thought. Seek this shit out, fools. It's on Criterion Channel. Yeah. Only place it's streaming, I think, is Criterion. But get you a free trial. Go get it. It's good. This is really Criterion's, good. Criterion's worth it. And Exotica is worth it. That wraps up Exotica. But, Terry, what are we watching <sighs> next week? <laughs> okay. So we've kind of, like, gone a little elevated slash kind of sad for the last ones. Because we talked about Eyes Wide Shut. We talked about Unfaithful. We talked about this amazing film so we're gonna get a little sleazy and probably a little terrible and we're gonna watch the 2015 j-lo vehicle the boy next door hell yeah i'm so excited because we were t- terry and i were talking and we're like we really have not watched trash which again not complaining. No. But we we need a little bit of trash. <laughs> we need to bring some sleaze back to our erotic we thriller. We're going to bring some sleaze. I'm hoping Rob Cohen, the director of Dragonheart, <laughs> will be able to do like, that for Like, what us. the fuck? Uh, Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> so yeah. I'm very excited about that. Yes, I am too. Uh, even if it's going to be terrible, it's going to have... Uh, Ryan Guzman, like shirtless, I think. So I'm. Yeah, and J Lo. And him here for it. Yeah, and J Lo. And so, Kristen like, Chenoweth? Yeah, what? <laughs> also, this is from 2015. So I'm very excited to figure, to see all that yeah. 2015 glory. Absolutely. Okay, but who are we talking to on Monday, Mary Beth? <gasps> on Monday, we are talking to Sheree Bohannon about uh, writer, uh, podcast host Sheree Bohannon about Stir of Echoes. Hell yeah, we are. Another 1999 movie. Because that is the only year that movies ever came out. the only year that matters. And very excited to revisit this one. It was a great discussion, and this movie actually holds up pretty well. So I'm it very does. stoked for that. Also, Sheree is hilarious. So oh my god. Get Laugh excited. so much. <laughs> Laugh so much. She is great. I know. It was so She is fun. just a delight. She is. So, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch something that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for things we should be watching? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGeely Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And it, I, this is all going to be edited by Mary Beth, but let me tell you, this recording was a nightmare of multiple like levels. So please do us a favor and give us that rating and review because goddamn, this is our third... Please part of trying to attempt to record tonight so please go out there and shower us with some love please please and thank you um thanks to eric power for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thanks everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy and until next time
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.